thing the Lord just continues to speak to my heart, and we're going to go into Isaiah 58, we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to go into, well, I won't scare you, I'll stop right there. I want to look at a few passages, but I want to start in 1 John, because this isn't one that I I had for today, but as we were worshiping, the Lord just really continued to speak this to my heart. In 1 John chapter 4, very familiar passage of scripture. Uh, As a matter of fact, in uh, the first church I pastored, we used to sing this. Uh, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Yeah, beloved. Yeah, I thought I was going to sing it. (laughs) It says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live, <clears throat> how? Through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He said, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world. This is what's so crucial. We talk about the love of God a lot, and uh, I mean, it's who God is. God is love. You can't expound the depths of that subject of the love of God and His His great love that He has for us. But what's so crucial to me is this part, this last part of verse 9. It says this, that He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That our lives would be found in living through Him. That His life that He gave, that he, where He conquered, <laughs> He conquered death, hell, and the grave. So that it would no longer have fear. So that we no longer have fear. It would no longer have authority over us. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I mean by that is this. When you understand the love of God, then the fear of death has no place in you. When we really understand how much God loved us, loves, not loved, loves us, it doesn't just affect, well, one day I get to go to heaven. It affects my everyday right here, right now. Because I can live from a different perspective because I'm not living just to get what I need. I'm living from His abundance. (laughs) I'm living from what He's placed on the inside, but if if we don't understand that, I've, I've shared this illustration before, I read it. Kenneth Hagin told the illustration of uh, a man who, a man back in the early 1900s who was traveling from Europe to America. And the man saved up his money to get a ticket on a cruise liner. <clears throat> but he, he only had enough money to just to have the smallest stateroom and everything like that. So he packed crackers and all these things. And he stayed in his stateroom the whole trip. And I don't, I don't know how long it was. But from Europe to America on, the, on this boat. And he stayed in his room and he ate crackers. And when he was leaving the boat, the captain shook his hand and said, thank you for sailing with us. He said, I missed you. He said, what do you mean? He said, you were supposed to have dinner at my table one night while you were here. 
He said, oh, no, I just barely had enough money to get a ticket to get on the boat. He said, you don't understand. In the price of your ticket was all-you-can-eat buffet every night. And one night, you were supposed to sit with me at the table. He didn't know what he had. He didn't know what he had. And I look, and there's so many. In that boat, it didn't mean that there wasn't any rough seas. But in the boat. There was provision for everything he needed. In that boat, there was provision. And God said, if you'll understand, and I'm going to tell you, I haven't arrived. I'm on the journey. I am learning every day of his love. And here's what I know. The more that I understand of how deeply he loves me and the price that he paid for me, the more I can stay at rest in my life right here where it is. I can understand where Paul said that I forget what's behind. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, I haven't attained. I'm not there. But thank God I'm not where I was. Thank God I'm growing and I'm understanding. And here's what I also know, that the more that I understand his love, the more that I can rest in who he is. And the more that I can allow his life to be lived through me. That I don't get all I can and can all I get. That I don't feel the need to hold on to everything that I have. And, and, and this, again, may sound redundant, but I, he said that, he gave his, God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Then he, he gives us, he doesn't just stop there. He tells us how that happens. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. <clears throat> he said that, in this is love. Not that we love God perfectly. Not that we do it perfectly, but that God loved us perfectly. You know that John 17 says that, that God loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. 1 John 5 says, as he is, so are we in the earth. See, those things, they can sound almost out of reach and they are if you are trying to reach for it out of your love for him instead of out of his love for you. Just as 1 Corinthians talks about bringing every thought into captivity. To what? What does it say bring every thought into captivity to? To our obedience? To our goodness? To how much we love God? No, it says bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. How did Christ obey? Completely. <laughs> Completely. So what I live from then is a, posi a position of wholeness. And as I renew my mind to the reality of that, the fruit of that comes out of my life. Because John 15 says, he's the vine and we're the what? Branches. We're the branches. As we're connected to the branch, the light, the same, you know, that's what's so amazing. <laughs> I'm thankful God made it simple for me. And many times it takes a scholar to, to screw it up for us. 
It takes somebody overeducated who complicates the truth of the gospel. That's why Jesus said, that a ch- he said, suffer the little children to come unto me. For of such is what? The kingdom. Suffer the, allow the kids to come to me for such is the kingdom. And I look at that and I go, man, there's so much we can learn from kids. If there's one thing I know about a kid is that until they're deceived, they know their identity as a kid. They know who their parents are. You can't slip one over on them and go, no, I'm your parent. No, you're not my dad. I know my dad. And I've shared this before. I love it. Yeah, on the front row. My baby girl on the front row. I don't think that's ever happened before. I don't quite know how to take that. Hallelujah. But one thing that our hearts desire always for her was that all her needs be met. And as a dad, and he said this, if your father, your earthly father knows how to give good things to you, how much more your heavenly father? One, one scripture says, desire to give you those things you need. The other says, give you the Holy Spirit. In him is everything we need, if we understand it. In that, we wanted her to understand in our house, it was her house. And that what we had was hers. And she had a revelation of that. A good one. A very good revelation of what was ours. She never made a payment on the house. She never paid the light bill, electric bill, the water bill. But she used it. Like we was making money out back. <laughs> and he said, if your earthly father. See, again, I, I've said this and this is my heart. I want us to understand family. I, it's, scholars say the breakdown in America isn't uh, anything that, well, boiled down to this. The breakdown that we see in our society today is a breakdown in the home. The crimes that we see, the majority of them come from single parent or no parent homes. It doesn't mean that that every family that has a husband and a wife is healthy and safe and everything. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, that the breakdown that we see in our country is a breakdown in the home. Well, where did it start? It started with a breakdown in relationship. And it wasn't just between husband and wife. It was between them and Father God. Because until you understand how the father loves, you can't really understand how to love as a father. I don't mean that judgmentally. I'm not saying that only Christian people know how to love their kids. That's not what I'm saying. But perfect love casts out fear. And when I can receive his love, his perfect love, inside my heart, then I have something to give that this world can't educate or train me to give. You understand what I'm saying? That I can live from a place that's beyond natural capacity. And that's his heart for us. And I, as I said, I, I'm thankful God's not bound by a, ca- a calendar. You know, he wasn't at December 31st going, oh, Lord, just let the year pass. Let this one just be gone. Let's start a new one. Boy, it was rough. That wasn't. 
That wasn't his mentality at all. He is outside of time. But he said, inside of time, I've established things so that you can know how to love. That's why Jesus spent three and a half years with a group of men. It wasn't to teach them doctrine and theology. They learned that through life. But what he did is he wanted to do life with them in the understanding of family. He said, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. As I was praying this week and, and just preparing for today, one of the things, that, you know, again, I, our heart's desire. There's several articles out on Facebook <clears throat> about the church and what's wrong with it. <laughs> you know, it's not easy to find problems. The, the, the problem or the issue is finding solutions. I remember T.D. Jakes, I was, we were listening to some leadership training by T.D. Jakes one time, and he said, I told my leaders, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. I got problems, I don't need them. <laughs> you come to me with solutions, or at least ideas. Amen. How, how different would life be, even in, our mar- in the home, in our marriage, instead of coming into the relationship with a problem, here's what I don't like, here's what this, here's that. But if we came with solutions or suggestions, It looks totally different. It looks totally different. But this week as I was praying and spending time with the Lord, my heart is just for families. And not just families in the church, the family, the church, but for families outside the church. As I said, my my heart is to reach outside of these walls more than we've ever done before. Because I believe what the world is looking for is the authentic love and power of God. And it's shown through love. And and I shared this a little last week, but Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, 15 says this, 15 through 20. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What did he say? I'm not looking for your handout. What I'm seeing and what excites me is the fruit of a life that surrendered to him. Isn't that good? He said, it's not your gift, but it's the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's so cool about that, the next sentence, I don't remember one day earlier in the week, uh, I typed this out. It says, as we grow in understanding of who we are and whose we are, we see that we live according to the riches of his glory. Uh, according to the riches of his glory and not out of. And then Nathan came up, and one of the things that he was talking about is we pour into him. As we pour our love into him, he pours into us greater revelation of who he is, who we are, and what we are. As far as what we are to look like in the earth. But here he said this, And my God shall supply all your need according to the riches of 
of his glory, the, to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And that phrase, according to, just really stood out to me. Because we see it again, and we're going to go there in just a moment. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writing again. And Paul wanting, the, it's a prayer, Ephesians chapter 3. It's Paul praying. And uh, as I've told you, I make this, that prayer of declaration over our church. But in Ephesians chapter 3, we'll be there in a moment, verse 15, 14, I mean. Uh, we see this according to again. But what just stuck out in my heart is he said, he didn't say that he, he blesses us out of his riches of, in glory by Christ Jesus, but he said according to. And that word according to, it literally means this, in direct proportion to his riches in glory. Out of means this. Out of means that I have a big portion, I give you some of it. According to means all that I have, I've given to you. It's a big difference if I own a company and I pay you a salary to work there, and then there's my daughter who's inheriting the company. She doesn't get a salary. She gets all that the company has. Does that make sense? There's a difference in according to and out of. <clears throat> and what I'm convinced where Todd has been, he's been living out of instead of according to. It's a big difference. When I understand that I'm living <clears throat> according to the rich, and that word riches there, I looked it up, it's deep. You know what it means? Riches. It means abundance of wealth. So in the context, he's not talking about money right here. So don't let me lose you. He's talking about something greater than money. He said that we, he, we live according to his riches in glory. And what's glory? Glory is his manifested presence. And it's his presence that destroys every yoke. So why is that important? Because that's better than finances because, you know what, finances can take care of a financial burden, but it can't help a broken heart. You can, you know, it's the old saying, you can buy a house, but you can't buy a home. Money doesn't do it. It can't do it. If money was the answer, <clears throat> the wealthiest people in the world would be the most satisfied and, and happy. And what we see is many times just the opposite. And I, I've shared this before, but <clears throat> I believe uh, the wealthy aren't necessarily the ones who have the, uh, the hmm. I want to say this, to be as least offensive as possible. <laughs> Uh, I, the, the wealthy many times aren't the ones that are materialistic. It's those who don't have resources. So what they strive for is what they think will make them happy. And I say that because the wealthy, the majority of them have whatever they want, and they know it doesn't make them happy. So they're not, their things are just things. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Case in point. Give you a little illustration. Make it simple. The way I am. I'm doing all I can to make bills, and I save up, and I buy me a brand new truck. The rich guy over here, <clears throat> it's just something he has because it's something he can use when he needs it. To me, it's my baby, right? Because every week, I'm one, every month, I'm wondering, am I going to have enough to pay for it and put gas in it? <laughs> <clears throat> 
So I park. You know where I park? I park at the end of the parking lot. And if I'm not feeling good that day, I make my wife, kids, and everybody walk from the end of the parking lot. I don't drop them off at the door. Because I don't want to get too close to any other cars. So I park it way over here by itself. You know what the guy who has unlimited resources does? He'll pull it in that spot that's made for a compact car. <clears throat> you know, you've seen him. You've seen him. You pull up and you go, what the world was he thinking? They can't nobody get in or out of their car. He had to crawl out the window. <laughs> What's he thinking? You know what? He doesn't care. It's not his, it doesn't matter. And it might be jacked up, all the bells and whistles. <whistles> and yours, yours is a basic model. You got to roll down windows. Some of the kids don't even know what a roll down window is. <laughs> a roll down What You mean you don't have a button to push? You had to, th- what is that? Kids get in the car with a roll down, they go, dang, these windows don't roll down. How you lock the door? You push it down and you pull it up. <laughs> I didn't know there'd be such a thing. <laughs> Shoot, now you get in the car, you hit a button, the door shut for you, the tailgate comes up for you, all that. Anyway. <laughs> so this guy, with his thing, it's become his God. He gets a ding in it, and he wants to call the sheriff. Somebody got to go to jail. Somebody hit my car and put a ding in it. <clears throat> this one over here looked like it had been in a, a, a derby. And he could care less. You know why? Because it doesn't have him. And God doesn't care what we have. What he cares is what has us. He cares what has us. And what is it that we think is going to give us? He doesn't want anything to be in that place that we think, if I just get this, then it's going to be all right. That's a misunderstanding of his amazing love. Because here's the thing with things. They always get older. They always wear out. That thing that was such a blessing starts needing tires. Hallelujah. You know, rubber is expensive (laughs) when you go putting tires on things. And so what it becomes, instead of the blessing that God said, I wanted you to have, it becomes a burden. And we lose perspective. And then we get bitter. Because he don't care about his truck. And look, I'm doing everything I can. Take it. God, where are you? Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I know I'm telling you the truth. The Lord, as we understand his love, and we don't live from that mindset that a thing, it's him. The takeaway is this. He's the one. It's all about him. And when we have him, we have everything. Now, that looks different in each person's life. Everything to me may look different than everything to you. And that's where he said, I think it's Corinthians. He said, they measuring themselves against themselves are not wise. So what does that mean? So if I start measuring my life and my success based on, even me as a pastor, if I measure my life and my success on another pastor, if I look at where they are, they've been in ministry the same amount of time I am, I can draw encouragement from them, I can learn from them, but if I start measuring myself and say, well, I'm not a success or I am a success because of where I am or where they are, then what I've done is I've taken my eyes off of him and put it on a thing that's going to change. 
That can deal with your job. It doesn't have to be me as a pastor. That can deal with your job. See, if we, <laughs> if we really believe that we can live our lives through him, if we really believe that, then even if we're in a job and we get overlooked for a promotion, it doesn't take God by surprise. And it doesn't, it is, doesn't, mean, doesn't mean that God's not there for you. It means that God has a better plan for you and that, that this isn't it. And we allow those things to get our attention and we lose peace. We lose rest and we don't comprehend the love of God that casts out all fear. I'm, t- I'm growing in that. You don't, you don't know how much fear you have until you start confronting it. You think, oh, I don't, that, that bothered me. You know, mom, <laughs> love you, mom. My mom can put on a tight coat and she's claustrophobic, right? So, I can't breathe. I got to get this thing on. <clears throat> she's being delivered in Jesus' name. Amen. So I never thought that I was really claustrophobic. I mean, I knew I didn't like a bunch of people piled up on top of me and football and stuff like that. And I didn't ever like to beat a guy on the bottom. I want to be hitting somebody. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> amen, coach. But as uh, I think I've shared this, is going into the fire department as a volunteer, and then we'll do training. And one of the things they do training is you put the whole air pack on, so you're breathing through an air pack. And then they put your Nomex hood over your head where you can't see. And then some of the training we did, then they put you in a room you've never been in, and you got to find somebody else in the room, and you can't see nothing. You don't know where you are. You don't know where they are, and all you hear is their air pack beeping. I had a Jesus moment. Like, Jesus, I love you. You love me. I might be coming to see you. <laughs> but here's what I realized. The majority of fear, not majority of fear is irrational. And it's misplaced focus and misplaced trust. Because in the training, I was in a room about a quarter of the size of this room with other firemen. I could not die. It was physically impossible for me to die unless I just freaked out, had a heart attack, and died (laughs) from stress. But there was nothing life-threatening. Do you understand what I'm saying? There was absolutely no way. If I ran out of air, I could just take my air pack off and breathe air. It wasn't like that when that bottle went down, it was done for. Now, they're training for the possibility of that being just that way where you've got to have that air pack and you've got to get someone else air that has one that's running out of air. But in that situation, you understand, I saw fear started rising on the inside of me. And that led to panic. And when you panic, you're going to hurt you and anybody around you. That's why a drowning person, sometimes you got to let them almost die before you can help them. Because when they're panicking, they'll hurt you. They'll drown you, not, not even realizing you're trying to help them. Because they're in that place of panic. All, they gotta, all they're thinking is, i got to survive. i got to survive. And see, we see that's what happens so many times in church. We've got people who've been so bound by fear that panic is set in. And when someone starts trying to help them, you know what they do? They lash out. They, they push away. <clears throat> and what we do? 
fine. Just stay in your mess then. If that's what you want, I'm just trying to walk in love. I'm just trying to help somebody. And look what happened to me. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> because we're not walking in that perfect love that casts out fear. And we're not realizing that fear and panic has set in on them. And you know why we don't see it? Because it's still operating in us. It's not condemnatory. It's just a locator. I'm just telling you. <clears throat> you, you, you ever noticed that uh, sometimes you get around somebody that just really annoys you? Y'all ain't ever done that, right? Just me. <laughs> have you ever noticed that sometimes the tendencies that really annoy you are things that you don't have victory of in your life? Oh, no, I know not y'all, right? No, because y'all have arrived. Y'all are perfect. You got it all down pat. <clears throat> I didn't say always. I didn't say 100% of the time. But there are times that there's something that just really annoys somebody. Like this, for example. You, are, you love to cut up. You love to have a good time. You don't mind being the center of attention. That's not all y'all. I know that. But then you get in a room with someone who's just a little louder a little more confident. <laughs> Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. <laughs> and you go, I guess they just got to be all that in a bag of chips, don't they? <laughs> it's all about them. They're in the room, and everybody's got to pay attention that they're in the room. But if they weren't in the room, and you were laughing and cutting up, and you were laughing louder than anybody else, you wouldn't even pay any attention to your laugh, would you? <laughs> Boy, it's quiet up in here. <laughs> The Lord is so good because he's allowed me to see that in me. He's allowed me to see, not that I got annoyed at somebody else, but I'd be in the room and I laugh. And then after I laugh, I realize how loud I laugh. <laughs> and I turn red. I turn red. I got that from my dad. Thank you, dad. I turn red. If I get a little inconvenience, uh, if I get ahead of myself, sometimes I'll turn a little red. And I've been in the room, and we're, everybody's having a good time, and I laugh, and it's so loud that I go, that was just a little obnoxious. <laughs> that was totally not necessary. <laughs> but I just got wrapped up, and I wasn't worried about anybody else but, but me. Exactly right. <laughs> Jesus, you're beautiful. But see, I say all that because here's what I, my heart, just Ephesians. I want us to live according to what he's given us through his riches. But I want us to live as a family, as a healthy family. I don't want us as a church to be that family who just gets together, excuse me, just gets together for special occasions but then doesn't want anything to do with our family the rest of the year. You know what? That happens all the time. That happened a lot. We just came through that season of people that you won't see again until next year. You won't communicate with it again until next year. And for, um, for some people, they're just like, thank you, Jesus. I wanted to look this way, so I'm not looking at anybody. So nobody can say, he's talking to me. <laughs> you go, thank you, Jesus. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3 verse 14 says this. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he only referred to God as Father, except for one time. There's only one time that he didn't refer to him as his Father. That's why the religious crowd couldn't stand him. Because here's what, even in that culture, their understanding was this. To call him Father means equality with him. My daughter, and now my son-in-law, this good-looking fellow on the front row, <clears throat> we were hunting the other day, and I told him, <clears throat> and we understand, all that the Father has is ours because we're sons and daughters. And, and we were hunting the other day, and I had someone several years ago give me a very nice rifle, very nice rifle. I mean, it, it looks like a cannon when I pull it out. It's impressive if you don't ever shoot it. But then you shoot it, and it sounds like a cannon. Because Tyler and I were hunting together, and he was sitting to my left, and I shot, and he was there, and he was like, oh, I can't hear. <laughs> For two days, he's like, I'm still ringing. I can't hear anything in my ear. <clears throat> this nice gun. And uh, Tyler has a gun, but his scope was off. We found out his scope was off, so we went hunting the other day. And uh, so he was using my gun, and I had borrowed a gun just to have. The only bad thing was I only had three bullets left. I told him going into the stand, I said, you got three shots. <laughs> that might be three deer. I don't know. But at the end of three, we're going to have to switch guns because I'm out of bullets. <laughs> that's all I have. That's it. So we were shooting. <laughs> we were hunting. And uh, this buck came in. I told him, I said, all right, take a deep breath. He took a deep breath. The buck turned. Bam! He's a good shot for all you PETA people. We're just living off the land. We're eating it. We didn't just shoot it and cut his horns off. We're going to eat them. And it's going to be good. <laughs> but he shot. It was a great shot. And uh, we, we, later we got down. We got the deer. <laughs> but then we were, I mean, I hate to say this because I've had people tell me, that's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. We were, we were in the stand. We were covered up with deer. I got friends who've been hunting and hadn't seen hardly anything. We were cover. I'm telling you, 18 deer. They were everywhere. He was looking through the scope. Should I, should I shoot again? Should I shoot again? I said, I don't know. I said, everyone you shoot, we got to clean. <laughs> you got one bullet. I don't know. And I should have let him shoot again, but we didn't. But after we were, I said all that to say, after we had shot and we had the deer and everything like that, I told him what a good shot. I said, man, that gun shoots good, doesn't it? He said, man, it does. Said, That's a good shooting gun. I said, well, it's going to be yours. Because you're my son now. And what I have is going to be yours. I had thought about selling the gun. And I mean, it's very, for a hunting rifle, it's a very expensive gun. You, you don't just buy one off the shelf. It was custom made uh, and given to me in the thousands. And uh, I was going to sell it and just buy me a little rifle because I didn't need this thing. See, it doesn't look bad for him because he's big. But when I get out and I put my gun on the, stand, on the ground beside me and the barrel's right here, <laughs> it looks like I got a little man complex, you know what I mean? <laughs> little man, big toys. That's what it looks like. Y'all ready to go, hunt? <laughs> and it's got a 55-millimeter scope on it. I mean, it's like this big. It looks like a cannon. 
But beside him, it doesn't look so big. Might be because I'm 5'7", he's 6'5". <laughs> I can only imagine what the deer saw when they looked at us in the stand. We were in a buddy stand. Him on one side, me on the other. They are probably going, that's a funny sight. <laughs> that little tree beside that big tree sitting in that stand. <clears throat> I told him, I said, this will be yours. Why? Because what I have will be his. He's my son. And what I have will be his. I said, you know what? Now that gun's not going anywhere. It had, it had no, I had no emotional strings to it. I was thankful for it. But it was just a thing. When I first got it, it wasn't just a thing. It was the thing. I would show everybody, you know, see my gun? You see, Mike, guess what? You can click, turn this little dial, and the crosshairs light up. <gasps> Show no. I showed him. He was sitting in the stand. It was getting dusky. I said, watch this. Click. He said, oh. That's the way we roll. <clears throat> but all that I had, and that gun, it's his. And the Father's wanting us to understand that all that he has is ours. And it's not something that we have to strive to get. It's what's been placed in us through that amazing sacrifice of Jesus where he said he became the propitiation, the payment for my sin. early. <laughs> so you know I know what time it is. First John 1 7. This is so awesome. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This passage of scripture has brought confusion to me in the past until I really studied it and understood what it was saying. And to some in the uh, in the body, but I want to break down just a little bit. It's because he said, if we walk in the light, that we walk, I think, is peripateo, which means have our manner of living. It doesn't mean that just like I walk through the room. It means that it's my manner of living. This is what's usual to me. You understand what I'm saying? It's my normal place. Um, <clears throat> if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And that word fellowship is koinonia. You know what koinonia means? It doesn't just mean... Oh, we Christians, so we fellowship. You know, like Jesus and the disciples in the boat. Fellowship. I'm just kidding. That was lame, but some of you were going to sleep. I had to get you. It, koinonia, it means joint partnership. It means that everybody brings something. That it's not just what I have to give, but what we bring as we come together. That's what it's talking about. That koinonia, every man, it means partnership. So he said this, <clears throat> we have partnership with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of, from all sin. And that, the tense of that word cleanses there is present, I think it's present active tense. What it means is it's continuously. So what does that mean? It does not mean that when, at one point when I confessed all my sin, which is not a 
scriptural, it's a church doctrine, it's not a scriptural principle. Let me say that again. We have told people, you've got to confess all your sin to be born again. Nowhere throughout Scripture can you find Paul or Jesus telling people they've got to confess all their sin to be born again. What he did say is repent, which means to change. Change your direction, change your mind, <clears throat> and believe into him. Just like you get into a car, not just believe, oh, I believe that Jesus is a good man. No, that you put all that you have into him as the one and only Savior of the world. Repent and believe into is, is Jesus' definition of salvation, not confessing all your sins. Because we have this mindset, well, I got saved, I confessed all my sin. Oh, well, this will be easy. I'm going to go light. I confessed all my sin, and I got born again, but then I messed up, so I got to confess all my sins again. So every day, if we really believe that, if we really believe to be right and holy before God, that we had to confess our sins all the time, most of us would go out of our mind. Because it's not just the sin that we do uh, <clears throat> overtly, like I yell at somebody who cuts me off in traffic, or I uh, get mad at, at a coworker or something like that, but it's also those that I do overtly. Uh, over, covert, over, covertly. Um, I just got lost in my words. There's those that I did intentionally and those that I didn't even know I was doing. <laughs> that we would, you'd go crazy if you really believed that's what you had to do all the time. So anyway, I said all that to say this. First John 1, what he's saying this, is that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. From the time that we receive that, as our, receive him as our Savior and Lord, there's a cleansing that takes place and it's a continual cleansing. Do you understand what I'm saying? His blood is continued. Now, does that mean there's no room for repentance? Absolutely not. When I recognize I've missed it and I messed up, you know what I do? I repent. I change direction. Hmm. <clears throat> I thought it would go over about like that. But here's what I've seen. Here's what happens. If the enemy can get us caught up on always confessing our sin, where's our focus? On sin. But if, he can, if we can get our eyes on the Savior who paid once for all, every sin you've ever committed was future tense when Jesus died. <clears throat> Not to you, because you weren't here yet, but they were to him. So when he cleanses us, his blood cleanses us. It's past, present, and future. The mistakes I'll make tomorrow, Jesus' blood has already paid for it. Does that give me a license to walk in it? No, it gives me freedom from it. Because it doesn't have authority over me. <clears throat> That's good. And an understanding of that, that his blood is what made me righteous. That's why Ephesians says that we're born again in true righteousness and holiness. <clears throat> now, as a result of his life, was Jesus holy? Yes. As a result, he's divine. I'm. So his life is flowing into me. That's good. So where was I? Ephesians? All right, I'll hurry through this and we'll, we'll close. That's the first time I said we're closing, so if you're counting, that was the first one. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. How does Paul see us? Family. The whole family. Who the whole family. 
his name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. What's that again? We, We saw it in Philippians. It's according to the riches of his glory, right? His glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, that you, that we, being rooted and grounded in what? Love, are able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You might be filled up to all the fullness of God. I've shared this before. And what this says, there's two different words in this one sentence for know. He said that we might... uh, Know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He said that we might know. The first word know there, it means experientially. The last word there, knowledge, it means this. That which I know to be fact. Does that make sense? So what he's saying is he wants us to experience his love that goes beyond what we can comprehend with our mind. That's what he wants us to experience. That you be filled with all the fullness of God, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And this is what I'll close with. We've seen three times I use that word according to. That's the title of my message today. I got a title for my message today, Mel. You don't have to come up with one. According to. It's according to what he has placed in us. But in this verse in Ephesians chapter 3, He said that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. It's not according to him. It's according to us. It's according to the power that we're allowing to work in us. So what does that mean? What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. He's already, if you're asking, he's doing exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think based on the power of his love that's working in you. That's clear as mud, right? Let me try to make it a little more simple. So what what I'm trying to say is this. The revelation that we have of the love of God, he's already, through that revelation that we have, he's working in our lives uh, exceeding abundantly above. As we grow in that revelation of how much he loves us, the manifestation or the revelation of that love will grow in our lives. That's still clear as mud. Yes, no, maybe. <clears throat> wow. As, as we understand how we're loved, the power of that love has freedom to operate in our lives. The more understanding, even the word that Nathan brought, the more understanding, the more that we pour out and allow him to pour into us, the more the revelation that we have of that love is the more, is the greater that that love's able to work in and through us. Practically is this. When I understand how loved I am, I can give away what I'm not getting from others. In love. When I understand how loved I am, I can give financially when others are saying, you need to hold on to everything you got. I can give because I know I'm not giving to get. I'm giving because he's given. That's what Philippians 4, we, we, in the church, that verse, is, verse 19 has been quoted a lot. My God, supply all your need according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. But in the context of that, what he's talking about is those who have selflessly given to the ministry. 
And he said, as you do that, know that God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because your attention's not on the need. Your attention's on him. Isn't that what Paul said? Paul said, I'm not thankful for the gift. I'm thankful for the fruit that's being seen in your life. Man, that's so different. That's so different. God desires that we live from that place of knowing his love so intimately. And as I said, I haven't arrived. But I'm learning. I have to do a checkup from the neck up in my thinking. As I'm riding down the road and, and I allow thoughts to worry me and to trouble me, I've realized that what I'm doing is I'm looking to my sufficiency and not his. Man, he said, John 10, 10, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And what does that look like? For each of us, that looks different. Because each of us have different calls. They have different positions, different places in in life that we're going. But God wants us to be so blessed in what we put our hand to that wherever we go, he's seen. Oh, man. I want to read one of the passages. I promise I'll be quiet. Man, I got so much more, but I'm going to stop. See my finger going up? That's me looking through my notes. I want to read this, Isaiah 58, 6 through 12, because this is my heart. For us as a ministry, for you individually, Isaiah Isaiah 58, 6 through 12, Is not this the fast that I chose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, cover him. And, do not, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, from your own family. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you'll call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. He's saying your darkest day will be like noonday. That's pretty awesome right there. And verse 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire. What is he talking about? What is he saying? Who is this person that the Lord does that for? The one who looks beyond themselves, outside of themselves, and says, I see there is opportunity for me to be Jesus to somebody, and I choose to be him, and I choose to reach out. 